Thanks for listening to the Media People Podcast, lively and insightful chats with the people who power the media industry. I'm your host, Victor Genova. For more episodes, you can go to soundcloud.com slash media people podcast, or you can subscribe on your favorite podcast service like Apple Podcasts or CastBox. Views expressed by participants are personal. Tyler Cameron, published author and media sales leader, stops by to chat. What makes his story so interesting is that it's full of career jumps and pivots. Born and raised in small-town northern Ontario, Tyler relocated to Hamilton, Ontario for college, where he studied radio broadcasting. After college, he pivoted into media buying and planning, landing at mega media agency OMD. From there, he made the jump to media sales, hawking TV and digital ad space at The Score, Rogers, and Bright Roll. Tyler is currently the head of partnerships at True Calling, but he's also a published author, and we'll hear about his first book, The Dude's Guide to Surviving His Wedding. It's been a very busy time for me. Uh, True Calling is a premium content storytelling studio where we are focusing on producing videos about people who love what they do. Very authentic videos, very emotional style videos, um, something that um, the Vancouver-based company uh, Pink Buffalo Films um, was really seeing a lack in the marketplace. So they spun off True Calling and uh, I've been tasked to open the Toronto office. So it's a really exciting time. I'm only a month in. They'll probably tell me that wasn't a very good description of the company because I'm still learning. However, um, it has been a ton of fun going out, talking to brands uh, and partners alike to align their strategies with uh, the type of content we're producing. And your first book. Tell us about that really quickly. We're going to get into it more later on, but A Dude's Guide to Surviving His Wedding, available now where? Amazon. Um, you can ask people to start putting it on the shelves at Chapters. I'm on their list now. And Barnes and & Noble, if you swing by the States and, and uh, bop into one of their stores. I picked up a copy on Kindle, and I absolutely loved it. Awesome. Before we go any further, though, let's go back to the beginning. Where are you from? I'm from the uh, booming metropolis of Lion's Head, Ontario. Um, it's actually a town of 500 people. So it's, that, that was a joke, a bad one. Uh, but it's on the Bruce Peninsula, about three and a half hours northwest of Toronto. What's the closest major city to that then? Major city, Guelph, I guess, but Owen Sound, if people know Owen Sound, I kind of go down the line. Owen Sound, Wyerton, people know Wyerton because of Wyerton Willie. Wyerton Willie. I was born in Wyerton. Um, and then yeah, born and raised in Lion's Head. And then if you go further, it's Tobermory, which everybody goes to camp. And correct me if I'm wrong, Lion's Head didn't even have a stop signal or a stoplight. No, they do not. Uh, no franchise. Uh, growing up, it was going to Owen Sound, about 45 minutes away, to a theater, to a McDonald's. Um, if you got to go to McDonald's, that was a good weekend. Um, so everything that we take for granted in suburbia was an event for you in Lion's Head? 100%. Uh, we just played a lot of road hockey. We were outside a lot. Very interesting now that I have kids looking at um, how they're – uh, consuming, you know, media and everything, which we'll, we'll get into obviously. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's really interesting to compare my life in a small town. And, and like you just said, what, what some people might take for granted, um, cause everything's at your fingertips. It's an on-demand society now. So what were your interests and hobbies growing up? Sports, a lot of sports, uh, a lot of time outside throwing, a tennis ball against a wall, pretending I was the Blue Jays, uh, road hockey. That was it. My parents ran a small business, so um, I was, you know, kept busy doing that, but also just being outside a lot. Um, and I took a, a liking to the Chicago Blackhawks quite early. I want to ask you about that because hockey's a Canadian sport. Yeah. We've got more than enough teams. Yeah. You're nowhere close mm -mm. to Chicago and Lionshead. How did you find your way to the Blackhawks versus, say, the Leafs or anyone else? 
I was asked that question. Every time somebody asks me that, I always go back to the time that I actually got to meet Jonathan Taves. Um, I, I fanboyed pretty hard on that. And he asked me why I was a fan. The best answer would be, I liked the logo and I was seven. So my brother got me into hockey um, and it was a very, we were three and a half hours away from the Toronto Maple Leafs. So it wasn't something that was right down the street from me. My brother actually liked Edmonton and I just liked Chicago. And then from there, it was the Jeremy Roenick, Ed Belfour days. So it was a lot of fun. You mentioned your brother. You credit him as being one of your influences. Why is that? He was a couple of years older than me. And, you know, like I said, he got me into hockey. He was really good. He let me tag along a lot um, to hang out with a lot of his friends. Small community. He got me into music. Really maxed out that Columbia House subscription, if anybody remembers Columbia House. It's funny when you say that. That was kind of like the Spotify of the day. It's true. Instead of just picking and choosing what songs you wanted to stream, they sent you your nine, ten CDs a month. What a day when you're Columbia House. You had to go pick it up from the post office and opened it. I feel really, really old. Oh, geez. You had to pick them up at the post office? Yeah. We we, we had a uh, post office box in town, which is not far, but we had to drive in and Yep. You had a parcel. You were hoping it was Columbia House. Get that Stone Temple Pilots album. What was your first ever job? It would have been with my parents. Uh, So they run a landscaping and nursery business in Lion's Head. Uh, They've been successfully running it for 30 years. And I started doing watering, I guess, watering plants and working around the yard. Not really very good, I don't think, because I'm pretty sure uh, they fired me. uh, Because video games was a little bit more important (laughs) than uh, watering plants. Did you learn anything about yourself while doing your first job? I guess so. I guess it was that I didn't want to be in landscaping. (laughs) That was kind of what I learned. I half joke. One of my first jobs was flipping burgers, and that made me appreciate that labor wasn't for me. Mm -hmm. From there, though, you moved to Hamilton and you went to Mohawk College. What brought you there and what did you study? Oh, the big smoke. Yeah, I left. I was extremely terrified, but I was always excited to leave Lion's Head. I felt like I was looking for something more, even obviously at a younger age, see what else was out there in the world, which was just Southern Ontario, but went to Mohawk College. I, I was really interested in, in radio. That's where I, my love for the Blackhawks kind of picked up. I could actually get radio game, like games on the radio um, from Lion's Head. And if the night was very clear, I could hear the Blackhawks play. So radio and sports was an angle that I thought would be a really interesting path for me. And then also I was 18, so I had no clue what I was doing. So I just kind of followed my path to Mohawk College. And when you were at Mohawk, you started off in radio, but then you bridged into advertising in your third year. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, in the third year, it was an opportunity to go on air and do producing or branch off into advertising. We had an intro to advertising and marketing during the first couple of years. So from there, I took an interest in advertising, thought that would be a really nice path for me to explore further. And in the third year, we got a really cra- like heavy crash course into what advertising was, where the advertising students had been focused on it for three years. We jammed a lot in in that last year, and it allowed me to kind of carry on in my career from that. And that led you to your first gig. What did you do after Mohawk? So Mohawk has a pretty strong connection with OMD, uh, the agency. So there was uh, one spot left. My friend called me and I was still holding out for a job in Kitchener or Waterloo or Guelph, somewhere a little more my speed, I thought. But there was one more job at OMD downtown Toronto. And I went in and got a spot on the PepsiCo team um, doing broadcast buying. Talk about culture shock because you said you were looking for something possibly a little bit smaller and slower near your neighborhood. And you go to the absolute extreme because OMD is a behemoth for that sort of stuff. You're right. Yeah, I, 
I went for it and I'm really glad I did. It gave me a ton of opportunity. Obviously, I wouldn't be where I am now. If I didn't make that decision, I would have stayed away from Toronto. But um, yeah, I'm super happy I did. I, don't, I think it was just knowing deep down that the opportunity, that's where it was going to be the best for me um, and just jumped on that go train. What brands did you work on and what, what did your first duties entail? So I was doing primarily Pepsi, but we also had Canadian Blood Services as well as HMV. Don't worry, that was not my fault. <laughs> um, but Pepsi is a beast, obviously. It was very interesting because of the amount of brands. I mean, even at 20-some years old, when I started, I didn't know what all fell under that umbrella. And you start learning all the brands in the advertising world. And PepsiCo is also Tropicana and Quaker and Gatorade. Yep. So it was very interesting because you got to wear a lot of hats as you put yourself into different brands. You know, Tropicana is more women-focused and Gatorade more sports and males. So it was very very cool to, to look through invoices because that's what I was doing. But a lot of admin work to start, but I quickly was able to jump on the um, buying side of things and started my first market buying Newfoundland. And then from there, bought national campaigns. And hey, I was the coordinator when you were buying national. It was true. That's where... <laughs> bring home the Stanley Cup. Remember that? Yeah. Gatorade and PepsiCo? Yep. 100%. That's where our uh, friendship flourished. You guys bought all that stuff and I was the one and literally on the back end making sure everything ran correctly. The invoices were done properly. Because if you didn't have the right code, oh my God, that would hold up billing for oh, three yeah. to six months. Yeah. You gave us some good make goods. Thank you for that. <laughs> no worries. You're welcome. You spent three years at OMD. How did the industry and your duties change from the time you started to uh, the time just before you left? Yeah, it was very interesting. Obviously, it was all very new to me. I guess what was the biggest change when I came in and is extremely interesting now would be the rise of specialty TV, where I know you were working for CBC actually at the time and conventional ruled all. Yep. And that's where all the numbers were. But even even like it was there, the food networks and HGTVs and space and the numbers weren't as big, but it started that shift from client saying we want to target people um, and start getting them a little more engaged in those categories versus just buying traditional um, conventional TV all the time. So there was a big rise in that and there was a big shift from PepsiCo at the time where we had to do our splits just kept getting bigger and bigger conventional versus specialty which is really interesting to think now where everything, like I just said, was an on de- it's an on-demand society. So it's you know Netflix and everything. You can watch whatever you want and YouTube or anything streamed. So it's very interesting now to see that that's what we were dealing with 10 years ago. But now it's you know obviously evolved a lot. What you said about specialty is quite interesting because they were picking stations that were specific to tastes and interests and genres. They were really forecasting the internet. Because, I mean, being a digital rep, that's the way it goes. People are like, we're looking for food sites. We're looking for sports sites. What brought you to the score? Come on. It's the score. I grew up with the score. I interned at the score, so I've got a soft spot for them as well. Absolutely. So I grew up watching Cabby and Tim and Sid and Greg Sansoni. I would have that on loop at my house in Lion's Head when we finally got satellite TV and ditched the rabbit ears. An opportunity to work at the score, who were the scrappy underdogs with the TSN and Sportsnets of the world, was amazing. I mean, it kind of went back to my small town roots where it was a family run business, but it was a family oriented culture where I was able to get in there at 23 years old, be a national broadcast rep and able to grow my sales career from there. Talk about making the jump to sales. Did you put a lot of thought into it? Do any due diligence? I knew I wanted to get into sales and there was no better place for me than the score. Going from an agency to a place like the score where I dreamed of going eventually, I didn't think it would happen that quick. I honestly didn't think twice. So I made that jump. I guess one of the biggest things that stuck with me right away 
I thought I'd just call my friends and they'd just give me a bunch of money in sales and they were dodging my calls. It was no, weird. No, not like that at all. It was strange, yeah. It's a bit of a cold, shul- cold uh, shower, isn't it? It is, it is. And you grow very thick skin right away. So I think that's what makes the difference between someone who comes from agency side to the sales side is they grow that thick skin mm-hmm. and they understand that they've got to stick at it a little bit before it comes back. You can't just activate your network and happen and have it work in reverse. Absolutely. And I think the benefit of coming from OMD as well was I knew what I wanted in a really good rep. So I tried to pride myself on that. Let me guess. They gave you OMD though when you came over to the score? 100%. That's the way the strategy usually <laughs> plays out. When you started at the score, were you doing television and digital, just television? What did you I, touch? I was just doing broadcast. Um, OMD, like you said, so it was great to get into um, a company that I was familiar with and all the brands, um, working with corporate deals and helping uh, maintain those. And then as the score went on, it was extremely uh, interesting to see how the digital side grew with the website, which was going to be the next big thing at the score, but mobile was kind of chugging along in that background. And it was a bit of a skunk works project off the start. But as we started to get into it, we realized we had something special and I was able to see that from a development side. So I started to trend a little bit more into digital with broadcast. Um, not that I was bored, but I was, I'm constantly looking for self-progression. So as I had done a lot in broadcast and I'd been seven or eight years in the broadcast side of things, um, I took a, a liking to learning as much digital as I could. So I was helping one of the digital guys out, even doing IOs which is extremely admin. And I was a senior rep at the time, but it's, how are you going to learn? So I was able to jump in and, and learn the lingo and the dimensions and how to, how to traffic digital versus uh, what I was doing on the broadcast side. You just mentioned that you guys were onto something special there. Someone else had your eye on that something special as well. You were there, you got the call one day that Rogers was buying the score. Take us through that. Yeah, we knew something was up. I remember asking in my first interview, five and a half years before the sale happened, if we were for sale and if I should worry about that. And the answer was, we're always for sale. And it could happen, especially in this media landscape where consolidation is happening more and more. Um, Being an independent station for as long as they were was really impressive. Independent in sports, not only that. True. And it was becoming apparent that, I mean, you'd look no further than the Rogers $4.5 billion NHL deal you know, the score didn't have that. The yeah. rights game was becoming way too difficult for them to compete. So obviously with digital and the mobile app taking off, that was going to be the future of the company. So I, I believe it was a Saturday that we got an email that basically said the company's been sold to Rogers. You will get a, f- a follow-up email, whether you're going to Rogers or you're staying at the score. I kind of knew where I fit, even though I was trending into digital, I was primarily broadcast and I knew I was going to go up to Rogers. I was actually golfing that day with one of the guys from the score and we were pretty rattled, but I, th- I think I golfed really well. What was the difference between, say, selling the new rebranded Sport and Stent 360 and working at Rogers than, say, doing it at the score and selling essentially the same channel? I thought I was, it was going to be the year of tie. I was starting to trend into digital. When I went up to Rogers, it was, you know, my history was primarily in broadcast and knowing the score brand and following that transition to Sportsnet 360. Um, I was put back in that role. There wasn't much of a change. Um, the programming was pretty much the same. I will preface it. I was only up there for about six months. So a lot of it was the same when I was still there. Um, but coming from the score, family-run, smaller, independent uh, sports company to Rogers, it was obviously a lot different from a cultural perspective because it was just obviously a larger corporation. 
From there, you went digital, but you didn't just go digital. You went full digital when programmatic video was starting to take off. Tell us about your time at Brightroll. Yeah, I, w I went for it. So Brightroll was very exciting to me. I was really looking for that culture, obviously, and the opportunity to almost rebrand myself in the digital space. I had some really good contacts, but I wanted to continue to grow my network as well as learn as much as I could in programmatic as well as obviously digital video. So Brightroll uh, appealed to me, startup vibe from San Francisco. Uh, there was six employees when I started in Toronto. So it was that small team that I was looking for and I learned a ton. So from that, I was able to lean on people that I worked with um, and they were able to introduce me to a bunch of people as well. And it was a pivot in my career, but one that I was really excited for um, to take on that next challenge. You mentioned a pivot. What did you do to prepare yourself for that pivot? Watched as many videos as I could and read as many articles as I could. That's I mean, the best way to do it. Honestly, there's so much at your fingertips in terms of resources and talking to people that I knew already in the digital space. Is this a good move? Is this something that you know people would want, clients are growing with? And I was able to lean on, on my outside network before I got into Brightroll. So that's how I prepared myself. But then after Brightroll, we'll call this part of your life homecoming. Mm -hmm. You end up going back to the score, which was the new version of the score, but a lot of things about it were the same. What brought you back there? I like to say that I slid home, sports pun intended. Um, so going back to the score was, you know, there was an opportunity on the team and those jobs are highly coveted. There's not a lot of opportunity in sports and sales. No, so, I imagine, especially when you were on the other side, when you were at the score and there was an opening, you probably saw, what, hundreds of resumes come in? Hundreds, yeah, thousands. There was so many people looking to get in, constantly talking to people about, um, no, we don't have any uh, positions open right now, but I'll keep you in mind. And honestly, that's just the sign of a great company and a great product. So the reason I went back to the score, obviously, was to, to go home to to work with the team again and continue to see that growth of the mobile app, which I was saw in its infancy stage when I was there before. So it was almost like almost, not finishing the job, but also continuing a really exciting uh, growth path. Was it, was the score that you returned to different from the score that you left? Yeah, we weren't able to lean on the TV side of things anymore where I wouldn't say it was used as a crutch, but obviously with traditional broadcast and traditional media, it was, an area where people are still spending a lot of money and being a mobile first company to convince someone to spend a large portion of their media dollars with a mobile first company was not easy all the time. So a lot of the people were the same. The sell was a little different, but we still had an amazing product and it's still an amazing product. So it was great to go back and also see the development of emerging platforms. I mean, creating a chat bot, working, you know, investigating in AI and, and Beacon. So it was very cool to kind of see that digital progression from the team, which was obviously a little different than when I left years ago. What brought you to True Calling? With True Calling, what really appealed to me was just shooting videos with real life people who have really engaging and emotional stories that something I could resonate with from a small town. I like the authenticity of, of it all and the whole concept. I think the world is not the best place right now. There is a ton of negativity. And to be able to put these videos out to the world with people who love what they do and are loving getting up in the morning has been really inspiring, which it, that sounds all very mushy, but it's, it's speaks to me as a person and something that, you know, I, I was really excited to get on board with. Um, and also the opportunity to launch a market for me being able to come in and, and see how, 
uh, everyone has received it in Toronto. It's been amazing. But it also speaks to my creative side too with the book and the writing. Um, I wanted to be a little more creative and get into that brand partnerships role. Even going back to your early days in radio, because your first two years at Mohawk, you were learning how to storytell. Exactly. I always said when I was younger, much, much younger than I am now, that people would say, what do you want to do when you grow up? And I'm like, I'm just going to tell stories. And it was a joke at the time. And it's really funny that that's what I'm doing now. And I'm, I'm doing the writing part of my life and now telling stories. And we, that's all we do at, at uh, True Calling. We're selling stories. Looking back at your career, you've had a number of pivots, all successful. Agency side to sales and television, survived a merger, moved into digital, strictly digital, programmatic. What advice would you give to someone who's looking at potentially pivoting from where they are right now? From a professional standpoint, I always say, if you're not making yourself uncomfortable every day, you're not doing your job. It's maybe a bit drastic for you know everyday life as a person, but I love being able to grow professionally and as a human being. Not to say that I get complacent doing one thing, because I mean I've done you know TV for you know, eight years and digital for the last I don't know how many I don't know how old I am six years. So it's something that I've been doing for a long time, but. I feel like getting outside of your comfort zone is something that you can really, really learn from, but don't just do it to get a change. It's not always greener on the other side, as they say. So it's, it's very interesting. If you're going to make that move, make it a genuine move and make sure you put a lot of thought into it. I didn't jump into telling stories and wanting to go into content just because I wanted to get out of mobile and sports because who wants to leave sports when you're a huge sports fan? especially now at the score who might be getting thousands of resumes in possibly for your open position as well. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, uh, when I left, I told the guys, you're not gonna have a problem finding people. Speaking of storytelling, you're telling a story to everyone right now. You just published your first book, a dude's guide to surviving his wedding. Why is it called a dude's guide to surviving his wedding and not a dude's guide to planning his wedding? I wanted to go through every step, even the aftermath. So it's not just the planning part. I wanted to do a 360 look on even before you're planning, how do you pick the ring? How do you propose? How do you do that from a guy's perspective? And just, you know, in a way that I wrote it, it was leaning on a few experts, leaning on some real life people and using my own experience, which I found out that I have a ton. Apparently Um, people ask me why I'm writing a, a dude's book to weddings. And one of the reasons were when I was getting married in 2014, there weren't a lot of resources for guys. There were blogs and books and conventions all geared towards females and the bride, but guys were kind of just on the sidelines, which some of them are very much happy with, but others aren't. And those conventions and those magazines and everything you you spoke about, they don't give sound financial advice like you do in the book. It's all about making it bigger, better, and they don't say it explicitly, but much more expensive. Yeah, I keep it real in the book. Uh, You're going to spend some money, but I also show you how to cut some corners. Um, Leaning on someone, an expert from CIBC, how to actually work with a real budget and keep it in line is something that obviously is difficult, but it's something that you have to be cognizant of if you're not getting the whole wedding paid for from a family member or uh, your future in-law. So there's a lot of good tips there, um, and I was able to work in some really, really exciting experts. Um, but like I said, I've, I've been to about 50 weddings. Um, I've been eight wedding parties. I was three best men in under a year, two MCs. I used to DJ weddings, so that was about 25 weddings there. My wife used to work in the wedding space, so I had tons of context to draw from. 
and it was super fun to write and pretty smart assy, but also educational. What did she say when she saw the title? Was she like, Tyler, it wasn't that bad. Ah, she was on board. <laughs> she was definitely on board. I mean, she, people spend uh, a lot of money on weddings, so they need a lot of advice. That's true. So when you published the book, did you get a book deal? Did you do this independently? How did you go about that? And, and at least take your, get the idea off the ground and take it to reality. So it took longer than people probably want to hear if they're interested in writing a book. From concept to being published, it was probably about five years. But the majority of the writing was not done until I actually struck a deal with a self-publishing company, Tellwell, which is based out of Victoria, B.C., Self-publishing was the way to go for me. I wanted it all in my hands. And plus, who's going to pick up an author? I've got a day job and two kids. I don't have time to go out and pitch publishing companies on somebody who's never wrote a book before. So for me, that was the way to do it. And self-publishing is growing massively right now. A lot of big-name authors are self-publishing. So it's not looked upon as uh, lesser than getting a a book publishing deal. So because you were self-published, you didn't have an editor saying, Tyler, you need to change this about the narrative or the story or anything like that. It was all in your own hands. Those are your words. hundred percent. They edited my poorly written book that I originally put to them and they were helped me along the way and fine tune it and polish it. But in terms of, in terms of writing the book and having full creative control, that was all me. So they played punctuation police then? hundred percent. And I need a lot of it. <laughs> okay. So that's book number one. Where do we go from there? Yeah, I'm hoping this is a bit of a launching pad for a side writing gig where, to be honest, it's always been something that I've been passionate about. The natural next book will be A Dude's Guide to Surviving Kids. So that will be coming out hopefully within the next five years, a little shorter than how long it took me to write this. But How old are your daughters? uh, Three and four months. Because you might have a number of different versions of this. Are you going to do kids? Are you going to do preschoolers, kids, teens, young adults, how to survive all of them at different stages of life? I'm just doing kids. Just (laughs) overall raising kids is way harder than any job I've ever had. If anyone listening wants to pick up the book, where can they get a dude's guide to surviving his wedding? So all my information is on my website, tylercameron.com, but also available on Amazon, Indigo, and Barnes & Noble. If you could go back in time and give your younger self any advice, what would it be? Now that I have two daughters, be nicer to your parents. That's straight up. Just you kind it. of you kind of reflect back and go, oh I might God. have been a pain in the ass. One hundred percent, I was. My signature closing question: If you weren't in media, what do you think you'd be doing, and why? That's a great question. Obviously, the writing side, but I'm going to take that out. I, something in sports. Um, you look at, you know, a lot of different positions in sports now. I'm a huge hockey fan. And maybe something in like a front office or, you know, hey, look at the Leafs GM. He's 32. Maybe I could have been a GM by now. I had university, but I had class with that guy. Oh, yeah. He went to Brock. He went to Brock. Yeah. He, we both had first year sports management together. Look at that. One person made it out. <laughs> He's managing the Leafs and I got a podcast. There you go. <laughs> Tyler, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for your time. Awesome. Thanks a lot for having me. That's it for today's show. For more episodes, you can go to soundcloud.com slash media people podcast or subscribe on your favorite podcast service like Apple Podcasts or CastBox. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Vic Genova.